What is up, Venue Church? It's Pastor Peter Haas again from Substance Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And man, I, I hope you guys are having a great summer in the gorgeous land of Alberta. And of course, I, I wish I was there with you in person because I, I just, I love you guys. I love your pastors, Corey and Aaron. In fact, I, I text with Corey all the time just to make sure that he's still saved, right? And honestly, he does the same thing with me, which is which is beautiful because, I, you know, you guys love your pastors and you guys want them to be healthy too, which is partly why you've been tapping into the Substance video feed a little bit more. It enables a little more time for your pastors to connect with God and lead with a full heart, amen? Uh, but I'll tell you what, before we dive into the video feed today, I just wanted to say, uh, Venue Church, you are a move from God and everyone down here at Substance in Minneapolis is proud of you and all that you're doing. Um, but with all that said, open up your heart hearts today as we dive into God's word together. Come on, make some noise, everybody. You made it to church. Man, you guys look so good. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and, and uh, I just want to welcome all of the churches and campuses joining us from all over the place. Let's let them feel the love. Come on, everybody. And uh, today, what I want to do is I just want to jump right into our Bible text. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to start out a little bit philosophical, but if you can just follow this, I'm telling you, this is going to be a profound aha in your life, okay? I, I really believe that God wants to increase your peace, increase your joy, no matter what's going on in your life. And, and at the time 1 Corinthians was written, there was a big political debate going on in that particular church. And I know that we don't know what that's like to live in the midst of a debate. We've never, you probably have never experienced a political debate ever, but uh, this church was in the midst of a massive debate and everybody was saying things like, well, I follow Paul. And then other people were like, well, I follow Apollos. And they were posting on their Facebooks and their Instagrams or whatever they did in first century AD. You know, they, they were having this huge political debate. The whole church was divided. And, and, and so listen to what the apostle Paul did. He, he was like, I want to deal with this, okay, because, you know, he's basically wrote a letter saying, you all are acting like infants because you don't understand how the kingdom works. And, and so he, he unpacks the kingdom in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, and he uses a farming metaphor because, again, most people were agricultural, and so this is the way that they could grasp it. And so he, he said, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, he says, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it's only God who makes things grow. In other words, he wanted to kind of take a little formula for life, and he wanted to break it down and saying, hey, listen, if you think life primarily comes through people, then you're missing the point. You're not understanding how God works, okay? If you think life comes through people, then you are overestimating the human part of the equation in achieving life, okay? And specifically, he was obviously talking about building the church, uh, but you could apply this to almost any dream that you and I could possibly have in life. We all have dreams of having great jobs, right? Great marriages, great kids, great success. We read books on it. We listen to podcasts on 
success. We just want to, we get academic degrees. And over time, when we do those processes, we start to falsely think, you know what? I'm kind of a big deal. I'm the guy who waters. I'm the guy who plants. I know how to achieve a result, right? I know how to plant a seed. I know how to water it. If you really want to water a seed and have a great plant, then you got to do it like me. I know how to achieve success. How many of you know you can do everything right and it still doesn't work? Come on. You know who I, you know who you are, right? And the reverse is true. Some of you, man, you did everything wrong and somehow it still worked out for you. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I, you know, one time I, I, I was kind of getting into this, uh, because I, I, most of my work is intellectual. I like to do things that like cause me to sweat and perspire. Sometimes I like to get out and do yard work mainly because I just, I, I, I hate thinking all the time. And so sometimes I got to turn off my brain and just shovel dirt. Come on, somebody. Mm, you know, it just, it just ministers to me. And so I, I, I used to do a lot of landscaping stuff. And so I, my, my goal was to create like an arbovita hedge. And if you don't know what an arbovita is, it's those like those evergreens that kind of are, are tall and uh, cylindrical. I don't know how to describe it. It's also the Latin name is Thuja occidentalis. And uh, sorry, I just flexed on you guys all with my green landscape knowledge. And uh, I, so I, but I, I, I did this Arbovita wall. I spent all this money. I was going to make this hedge and this was going to be the most beautiful hedge. And all of them died. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, ah, do you realize how much money that was and how much work that was digging all of those holes and all? I, I just was like going over it in my head. And I'm like, I clearly did something wrong. And so I literally, no lie, bought an entire book on Arbovitas, right? I kept thinking about that dude, that dude who wrote that book, right? He devoted his entire life to it. I thought, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to master the art form of Arbovitas, and I'm going to replant all of these, except I'm going to do everything right, okay? I'm going to, I'm, I'm literally going to sing the right songs to these trees. I'm going to psychologically know how to raise Arbovitas better than any person on planet Earth. I'm going to better soil, better trees, watering schedule. I'm going to write sun exposure, the right fertilizer, the right mulch, and I planted them all, and guess what happened? They all died again. It was like unbelievable. And then the next year, I'm like, oh, forget it. I got to put something in that spot. And I got some free trees from the landscape nursery that they were throwing away because the trees were almost dead. And then I planted them way late in the season. I basically just threw them into these same holes where these dead trees were. I didn't give a rip about them. I didn't expect much. I never watered them. I didn't even plant them bright. And guess what? They grew like Jack in the beanstalk. It was like, what? And I, and I looked at those trees and, you know, like I, in that moment, that verse all of a sudden erupted to life in my heart that you can do everything right and it doesn't work. You can do everything wrong and it suddenly does work. At the end of the day, it's not he who plants nor he who waters. Only God makes things grow. And so Paul tells us at the end of the day, we just don't control as much as we like to think we do, okay? We overestimate our role in the process. In other words, we can learn principles of stewardship, and those principles are good. It's good to water. It's good to plant. But don't confuse stewardship with control. 
Don't confuse stewardship with control of all the things that you can control. At the end of the day, there are a hundred times more things you cannot control. Of all the things that you know about the universe, there is far more knowledge that you do not know. And so rather than trying to control everything, here's what the gospel says. Simply surrender to the God who controls it all. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Instead of trying to control everything, to know everything, simply surrender to the God who controls it all. Now, in psychology, we call this the illusion of control. In fact, you can Google the illusion of control. There's a million books written on it. A huge amount of research. And the reason why this thing exists in psychology is because human beings chronically think they can control far more than they actually can. Okay, for example, they found that like, like when it comes to, um, like if we roll a pair of dice, you're playing Yahtzee, okay? If you roll a dice from your own hand as opposed to somebody rolling the dice for you, uh, human beings generally believe their odds are better when the dice comes from your own hands. There's something about feeling like you were a part of the process. Yahtzee, you know what I'm saying? Like we want to somehow have some sort of control, right? Now it's mathematically absurd to think that somebody rolling for us would decrease our odds and yet humans naturally believe that's true, that that we just want to be a part of the process somehow, right? It's why lottery games, okay, did you like lottery games? The reason why they do like the scratch off things or they have you pick the number The reason why they do that is because what they want to do is give you the illusion of control. If somehow they can create a little game that you feel like you can control it. No, I'm really good at scratching things off. As if somehow. I'm a great scratcher, right? Like, as if somehow that gives you more control, that it makes the odds better in your favor. It doesn't. They know the odds. That's why they, they want to sell you the illusion of control, the fun of participating in the process. And as a result, you actually think your odds, you'll spend more money. That's really the bottom line, is they want you to spend more money. In fact, there are entire industries that specialize in manipulating the illusion of control, okay? So, for example, all security stuff, Really, advertising in general is, is, is preying upon the illusion of control, right? Security systems, insurance, strategy companies, safety industry, all of these industries make money by perpetuating the illusion of control. People everywhere right now are, are spending infinite amounts of money on air filters that somehow magically pull everything out of the air. Like, we don't even know if any of it's true. But you know what I'm saying? Heck, we'll do anything to make our lives feel more secure, more strategic, more in control. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, despite all the things that we can't control, there's far more that we cannot. People who work out still get heart attacks. People with home security systems still get robbed. People who wear masks and barely ever leave their homes still somehow manage to get COVID, while people who lick hand railings magically don't. What is going on? You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. So now, we say, wait, Pastor Peter, are you saying that we should just throw caution into the wind and forget about any precautions? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. Should we stop buying insurance? Stop caring about germs? Stop wearing seatbelts? No, that's not what I'm saying. You should care about those things. Paul was not saying don't plant seeds or don't water seeds. Rather, he was saying don't confuse stewardship with control. 
because they're different, okay? Good stewardship is good, but don't think that it gives you control. And the reason why this is so important is because a lot of Christians, they like to turn Christianity into like a self-help formula where that basically allows us to continue to pursue the illusion of control, okay? Non-Christians pursue the illusion of control because they don't know the God who controls the universe. But when we actually have this, we claim to be in a relationship with the God who controls the universe, yet we're not actually surrendering to that God, we're actually using this religion to control our own lives. And we don't even realize it. What a lot of people don't understand is that biblical miracles are preceded by acknowledging your lack of control and actually surrendering to the God who controls it all. Okay, so now just stick with me for a second because it's kind of like the Apostle Peter. When he first met Jesus, okay, this classic story, Luke chapter 5. You guys have probably heard this before. Um, Jesus was teaching by the, sea, by, by the Sea of Galilee. So many people were crowding up to him when he was preaching that he, he eventually... The apostle Peter, he didn't really even know him yet, but he, he basically asked Peter, hey, can I get into your boat? Can we push the boat out like a stage where I can kind of you know, create a little distance between me and the shore and then I can preach to everybody on the shore, right? So, so he climbs in Peter's boat, he preaches to this entire audience. And of course, that's where we're gonna pick up Luke chapter five, verse four. I love this, okay? So Peter was just cleaning his nets after a long night of fishing. He just happened to be there. Luke 5, 4 says, when Jesus had finished speaking from the apostle Peter's boat, he said to Simon, hey, put, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like Jesus is in a boat and he's like, hey, I'm like a fisherman, let's go fishing. And Peter's kind of like, ah. Uh. Simon answered, master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Like, please, I, I don't really want to do this right now. Like, now is not the time. We, we've, we've, I've been up all night, okay? There's no fish to catch. We already know there's no fish to catch. But, but I love this. He says, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. In other words, let's let Jesus, the rabbi, let's let him do his thing. Let's take him for a little tour of the Sea of Galilee, throw a few nets out there, make him feel like he went fishing, okay? Um, and, and so you have to understand, Jesus' request was not an easy one. This is not what Peter wants to do. And, and even more, it's kind of awkward. I mean, they just kind of just met and, you know, Peter just happened to be sucked into this outside church service. And, but, but Peter, in all fairness, you know, he did give Jesus a chance. I don't know if it was just social obligation or if it was faith, but he said, okay, master, we worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll go out there, we'll let down the nets, right? Verse six, I love this, check this out. When they had done so, they got into deep water, they let down the nets. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat, come, come and help us. And, and they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. Okay, I mean, you're talking about windfall gain. We're talking about massive increase in money. I mean, I, you know what? Jesus is kind of showing off here, right? He's kind of flexing. And you have to understand, Peter is a professional fisherman. He knows how to control fish. He knows when to fish. He knows where to fish. He knows how to fish. And Jesus is like, you don't know Jack. That's what Jesus was trying to say to him. 
You think you know everything. You're like a pro. You know everything. And Jesus is like, you don't know nothing, right? At the end of the day, you can do everything right. You can fish all night. You can have flawless stewardship and still get nowhere in your life. Why? Because at the end of the day, you control nothing. Or what you can do, Peter, is you can let me into your boat and you can allow me to tell you the counterintuitive secrets to life and allow you to, to, instead of you trying to control everything, you can let me control things. You can obey my words and you can get miracles. Are you hearing me? And what I'm trying to do here and what Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to say, listen, stewardship may say these things, fish at nighttime, but surrender will say this, welcome Jesus into the boat. There's a difference. There's a difference between these two different lifestyles. And I would like to just suggest today that maybe your lack of peace, maybe your lack of joy, maybe your lack of miracles is because you're still trying to use the, 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 the control approach to Christianity and yet you're missing the surrender side. And I would like to just maybe suggest that maybe, what if today that was your biggest issue? Here's the deal. God loves you and I so much that he will do whatever it takes to break the illusion of control over us, even if that means allowing us to experience a little difficulty. Why? Because the illusion of control is so destructive. Ultimately, it's, it's deception. It is a form of deception. And, and, and think about it. No matter how rich you are, no matter how powerful you are, no matter how good looking you are, all humans will go through trauma that will force us to deal with the illusion of control at some point or another, okay? And if you don't uh, believe me, just stop and think about life. Life is designed to lead to God, isn't it? Life is designed to lead to God. And if you're a note taker, write these three traumas down because I believe that at some point in all of our lives, we will experience one of these three types of trauma. Trauma number one is what we call death of a loved one. At some point in your life, you're going to have someone close die, and, and, and that trauma is going to force you to deal with certain things in your life. And, and, and some of you, you haven't experienced that yet. I've noticed all, I, I've watched a lot of Christians over the years, they thought they were super tight with God until all of a sudden somebody close to them died, and it just kind of throws them, it really, it turns all of their theology upside down. And, and it's amazing how in that moment, they, you know, you, you thought two Christians, two different Christians, both of them looked close to God, but all of a sudden this trauma occurs and this person goes like this and this person goes straight, connects with God in a whole nother level. Okay, I, it, it's an interesting phenomenon. You'll see this over time, but trauma number one is death of a loved one. Trauma number two is what I like to call a major medical diagnosis or a tragedy. At some point in your life, you or someone close to you will experience bad news, major medical diagnosis. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but get this. One out of one people are dying nowadays. I know, right? You thought, you thought COVID was contagious. Death is even more contagious. I'm just saying, one out of one are dying, right? At some point in your life, and they're dying of something, right? Or, uh, old age, call it whatever. But at some point in your life, you're gonna get a, a, you're gonna have a bad day. In fact, actually, studies show that, that most people will experience some sort of major uh, tragedy at once every 10 years, one, sorts of, one, one, one type of major financial setback at least once every 
every 10 years, once every 20 years, some sort of major tra uh, tragedy, be it a car accident, be it a violent crime. Every single day, about 10,000 Americans experience some sort of permanent new disability. Um, so there, there's, there's traumas, okay? So death of a loved one, a major medical diagnosis or tragedy. The third trauma is a major identity crisis or an addiction, an identity crisis or an addiction. So, um, you know, you, you, you divorce, you didn't expect to be divorced and you are, or you thought you were going to be a pro athlete until injury happened, or I thought I was going to be a pro athlete until seventh grade. And then I realized, you know, I'm not as big as I thought I was. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 you, you thought you were in control and then all of a sudden you realized, oh, you're addicted to snack cakes or you're addicted to impulsive spending, addicted to alcohol. You didn't think you would ever be one of those people that got addicted or you made your plans for marriage. You made your plans for pregnancy. You made your career plans. You took that little divide in the road and that road all of a sudden, boom, right off a cliff. You know what I'm saying? Even the wealthiest, most powerful, good-looking people on the earth will, will eventually go through one of these three types of traumas. You can be Kobe Bryant. You can be Steve Jobs. I don't care who you are, how wealthy you are, how much success you are. Inevitably, at some point in your life, you will go through one of these traumas, and it will, in that moment, force you to take one of two options. Option one, you can surrender it all to the God who controls it all. Or option two, you, you know, in other words, you let Jesus into your boat and let him start guiding your life. Or option two, you can continue the futile search for the illusion of control. Here's the deal. God loves you so much that instead of flunking you with this test, he simply has you retake the test over and 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 over again. And man, I don't know about you, but aren't you sick and tired of taking the same silly test? I don't know about you, but I do not want to take the 2020 test over again in 2021. And guess what? There are people right now who have already signed up for the 2020 test again in 2021. They've already signed up for it in 2022. They've already signed up for it in 2023. Come on. The School of Hard Knocks is a very faithful school. The tuition's a little bit high. But it doesn't have to be that way, church. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and here's the good news. This is actually where it gets fun because if you can acknowledge that you don't have to control it all, that you can surrender to the God of, who controls it all, what's great about being out of control, and this is the cool part, is that when you realize that God controls everything and he loves you, guess what? You start praying out of control prayers. And this is where it gets fun, okay? You don't have to pray anymore for things that are reasonable for you. In fact, you can pray completely unreasonable prayers. And it's, it's, it's actually really exciting to start praying prayers that actually fit the size of your God. Did you know the types of prayers you pray reveal how you view God? Your theology can actually be discerned from, from the types of prayers you pray. If you're only praying for things that you can accomplish yourself, well, really, uh, you're not actually praying prayers that fit the size of God. For example, you want to know what I pray for? When I'm at the downtown campus, I don't just pray, God, uh, would you just cause this church just to grow? I, I, I used to pray, God, I, I pray that we could fit three services. And then I was like, Lord, no, I want to be able to fit five services in that same building. I want that many people from downtown. Actually, you know, what, Lord? I walked out one day and I saw one of the skyscrapers. I saw Loring Towers and I'm like, Lord, give me that. 
You know what I'm saying? It's not a reasonable prayer. It's a, it's a God-sized prayer. God, give me a skyscraper where we can fill it with interns and do ministry 24-7 to people. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I pray God-sized prayers. When, when I think about our West Side campus, I pray, Lord, give me a building like downtown. Like, I want West Town. I want East Town. I want Frog Town. I want, heck, I want to make some noise moon campus. <laughs> give it up on the moon. Okay, maybe that doesn't sound quite right. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? We have a little time to work on that. But you know, I, I, when, I'm, when I'm at our uh, Monterey, Mexico campus, I'm like, God, give me 10,000 of the most on-fire Mexicans to take over the world. In fact, we have the campus pastor of our Mexico campus in the house today. Come on, Isaac Cortez, would you come up here real fast, real fast. Look at this guy. You were, you were doing our pre-show today, weren't you? Yeah. Come on. Is, is, so Lindsay's back home with the church? Yes, thank God. <laughs> She's like, she, you're like, I'm on vacation. Actually, so are, you're up here helping us film our, uh, our Christmas sitcom, right? Yes, I'm still sore from it. <laughs> you, seriously, you guys are going to love, you are going to love the sitcom for our Christmas services, but you are also going to love, how, we need to get more people down, some trips down to visit you, huh? Yes, please. All right, come on. Give it up for Isaac Cortez, everybody. I love you, Isaac. I love you. Seriously, like we were, we were walking around Monterey, such a cool city, and I, I was just like, God, you know, it, it, it's such a cool campus, and I was just like, God, it just broke my heart for that city. I, I don't know about you, but every, everywhere I go, I just, I, I dream bigger and bigger and bigger dreams. And it's so liberating to pray God-sized dreams because all of a sudden, you know, here's the hilarious thing. The reason why I can also pray out-of-control prayers is because I know I don't have the skills or the smarts to do any of these things. I could pray, God, give me skyscrapers because I don't know how to get skyscrapers. You know what I'm saying? I, don't, I didn't have the smarts to get this church this far. Do you, are you getting me here? Okay. I, I was even just looking at our, our profit loss. I was looking at our asset uh, statement. And uh, uh, God, believe it or not, God has given us over $28 million in assets in the last four years as a church. And I, I was looking at it like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, like, I can't take credit for any of that. I'm just a dude in a boat who obeyed Jesus when he said, put your nets down here. And I was like, here? <laughs> Okay, that's the guy. I'm just Peter. I'm just a dude in a boat who's like, oh, but Jesus, ah, we've been fishing all night. You know what I'm saying? I've been fishing in Wisconsin forever. You know what I'm saying? And you want me to go fish in Minnesota as if somehow there's like more fish. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm just the dude who obeyed Jesus, right? As Paul put it, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, I'm just a dude who plants and waters, right? I'm just the guy in flip-flops on my front lawn just watering the lawn, do 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 and watch what God does. Are you hearing me? Don't overestimate your roles and don't underestimate God. It's really all I'm saying because God loves our out of control prayers because only he can get the credit for them. That's why he likes us praying those prayers. If we prayed, a lot of us, we pray for things that we could reasonably do, right? And then we're like, let me give a testimony. I mean, it's a testimony about God, but it's pretty much 99% how awesome I am and how much I persevered in the midst of difficulty. I chose God. Okay, and then it's really all about us. You see, God, God really, I, I, I think we, we use Christianity to stay in control and continue on in the illusion, not realizing we're just glorifying ourselves. 
The reason why God loves out of control prayers is because he loves prayers that only he can get the credit for. I love the story of our, of our downtown campus. You know, I, I think about, you know, my daughter sitting on the front row uh, when, you know, she was nine years old and she said this time next week, she got a, just a vision from God and uh, about God giving us that campus. What I love about that story is that, is that, that I'm just the dork in the middle of a God story, right? I'm just like the guy. I, I'm definitely not the hero of that story. I'm definitely not the protagonist in that story. I'm the comedian sidekick that the story happened to. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. I I want you to get this. Think of it like this. Okay. If your life was a movie, you would not be played by Denzel Washington or Nicole Kidman, right? I'm just being, some of you are like, duh, because I would be played by Chris Hemsworth or Scarlett Johansson. No, you would not. I love you, church, okay? That's why I am telling you, you would be played by Jack Black, Amy Schumer, (laughs) Mr. Bean, or Melissa McCarthy, okay? I love you enough to tell you the truth. Pastors can't lie, okay? I'm I'm being honest with you. And some of you are like, no, but but Pastor Peter, you don't understand. I've got kind of a Kevin Costner look. (laughs) No, you don't. You have a Kevin James or Kevin Hart look, okay? You got the wrong Kevin. You're, you're misunderstanding who you are in this story. And just to make sure that we're, we're clear with each other, okay? If our lives were Scooby-Doo, you would not be Fred or Daphne. You would be Shaggy. You would be Velma, okay? I hate to tell you that, but it's just the fact, okay? Only God gets to be the hero in this story. You are just the comedic sidekick. And I know that sounds depressing to some of you, but actually, guess what? It is the most liberating thing you've ever experienced, You see, here's my point in church. If you get one thing out of my message, I hope it's this. When we rid ourselves of the illusion of control, we align ourselves with the provision of prayer. Let me say that again. When we rid ourselves of the illusion of control, we align ourselves with the provision of prayer. And some of you, you've never been fully aligned with the provision of prayer and you know it. You know it. And, and, and here's why. I, I think the, the Lord will hold back certain provision in prayer if we are abusing prayer. And how do you know if you're abusing prayer? Well, because if all of your prayers are to feed your illusion of control, if it's all circumstantial prayers, prayer will never work for you if you're always using it to make you the boss. Did you know that? If all your prayers are all about making you more comfortable and more in control of your circumstances, you don't understand. You're actually not surrendering. You don't understand the, the, the nature of how this relationship is actually working. If all of our prayers are about making us more comfortable, making us famous, making us secure, making us feel whatever, um, and don't get me wrong, God does want us to pray for, for circumstantial things. It's okay to ask God for things, but, but ultimately, he wants to make sure that our peace and our joy comes from him. Not our circumstances, not our politics, not our finances, not our comfort zones. If what we're asking for, would it change the world or would it just change you? I think at the end of the day, a lot of us, we're just, we're we're, we're using prayer like witchcraft. Do you know what witchcraft is fundamentally? Witchcraft is making incantations that allow you to control other people or other things. That's kind of the fundamental definition of witchcraft. It's, It's incantations that create control. Prayer is the opposite of that. Prayer is actually a relationship with Jesus where he tells you where to fish. Do you get it? 
In other words, we're, we're, we're actually not just saying, God, I pray that you would allow me to experience fish at this time and in this way because this is the right way and I'm t- basically telling you the right way. God, I don't know if you know this, but here are the right politicians. Oh, how many people have prayed that prayer? God, I don't know if you know this, but here's the way the world works, right? And I know because I listen to this one news network. And, and God, I don't know if you know this, but I know because I'm an expert in physiology. It's what I do. I got a degree in it, God. And, and God, by the way, and so, oh, oh, God, in case you didn't know this, uh, and, and what we do is basically prayer is us kind of lecturing at God what, what our list of demands is. Really what it is, is it's, it's witchcraft. We don't even realize we're, we're not even, we're missing the whole idea of what Christianity is. Christianity is where actually you let Jesus into your boat and he tells you primarily where he wants you to fish and, and, and which it, he tells you inconvenient things right like forgive and serve your irritating family members and then all of a sudden boom a miracle happens and everybody in your family starts singing praise to God and you're like who knew right it's where it's where Jesus gets into your boat and he says hey loved one, I want you to pick this battle instead of that battle. I know you really, really, really want to pick that battle right now, but you know what? Actually, I want you to fish like this because because I want to make you a fisher of men. You know what I'm saying? It's where God tells you inconvenient things. I want you to join this ministry team, not because you feel called to it, but because I need you there right now. And if you do this, then I'll do that. It's where Jesus is telling us these types of things that are maybe even counterintuitive. And, and, and I know some of us, we always just want to lecture God in those moments. Time out, time out, time out, time out. God, you want me to let my nets down now? Do you not realize? I, I, it doesn't feel right. I fished all night. You want me to surrender my sexuality to you? You want me to surrender my finances to you? You want me to surrender my political ranting to you? And God's like, loved ones. Oh, loved ones, you will never achieve control. You can only achieve surrender. Your soul finds rest in God alone, Psalm 62.1. And the more you can internalize that, it actually changes everything. And I, I believe the Apostle Peter had that encounter. I mean, literally, these boats were sunken into the, into the Sea of Galilee, almost sinking, not just one boat, but multiple boats. He had a revelation that day. He had a revelation that day. And you know what Jesus said to him right after that? He's like, Peter, come follow me. I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. And you know what he did? He sold everything and he went and followed Jesus on the great God adventure. And, and how many of you think he has regrets? No, he, he regrets nothing because at the end of the day, surrendering control is the only way to live. And, I, and, and, and if you're here today and you feel out of control, I would actually say, congratulations. You made it. You are in the perfect position for a miracle if you let Jesus into your boat. And all you have to do is simply say, God, I don't get it. And God's like, thank you. That's why I came, to die for your sins and to show you the path of life. And some of you, 
This may be, you may have been a Christian your entire life and yet never understood Christianity until just right this moment. And listen, if that's you, I'm just gonna end with a simple little surrender prayer. I believe that just doing business with God will all of a sudden flip on that joy switch, flip on that peace switch that you've been lacking throughout all of 2020. And that's what's so great about it is once you figure this out, man, nothing will rock you. Nothing will rock you. And that's what I want for you, church. And so just right now, bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's do business. Let's just let God into that boat. Maybe your boat is your marriage, your kids, your future, your physical body. I don't know what that problem is today. I don't know what it is that kept you up all night. But I was up all night, master. Listen, I do know this. The longer you have Jesus in the boat, more likely you're gonna have those miracles. So Heavenly Father, you see where we need you most. You see the areas where we struggle the most. You see the areas where we're striving, where we still believe the illusion of control. And God, although you have a plan of stewardship for every one of those areas, ultimately peace, joy, life comes from you. And so we surrender to you right here and right now. And church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I'm not in control, but you are in control. So I surrender starting today and for the rest of my life. And if you agree with that prayer, say amen. Come on, come on, comedic sidekicks. Let's unite. Let's unite. Let's make God great. Amen.